excited to be here today. Uh, this will be the last time I, I speak on God and the Underdogs. And it was a little bit of a struggle for me earlier this week. I, I was just, I had like a bunch of different texts in front of me. I was just praying, God, what do you want to do? And um, he, he brought me to this text in um, Genesis chapter 32. And, and usually I kind of get everybody warmed up and kind of connect you. But I just feel led to just dive right in. So I hope you'll dive right in with me. Genesis chapter 32. And we're looking at this guy named Jacob. Um, this guy named Jacob, Genesis chapter 32. You, you guys have probably, if you've never read the Bible a day in your life, you've heard of Abraham, right? Everybody not have heard of Abraham, right? And so Abraham had a bunch of sons, and one of those sons was Isaac, and then Isaac had two twin boys, um, Jacob and Esau. And so Jacob was one of those twin boys. They were, is it paternal twins, where they don't look alike? So they were those type of twins. And... Fraternal, paternal, paternal, <laughs> um, so it's not maternal, I know that, but that's the uh, identical, right? So anyway, here we go, Genesis chapter 32, and Jacob is a twin, I know you may be a twin, you may have a twin in your family, and the thing is with twins, it kind of stinks to be the younger of the twin, because then you've always got to hear it, you're the same age, literally the same day, but you've always got to hear it from the other person, like, well, I am a little bit older and wiser than you. Like, by two minutes, you're not that much older and wiser in two minutes. But, you know, you always hang that over their head, even if, if you're, like, older or a younger spouse or a sibling, you've always kind of hung that over their head. Oh, I'm, I'm older. And, and, and now we kind of get that, understand that a little bit in our, in our culture. But in their culture, it was, like, really, really intense because the older of a sibling, siblings, uh, the, the oldest son would actually get like a double inheritance. Like if, uh, that's really up. If, um, if say like uh, the inheritance was $150,000, like let's just use this in, in our time, then, um, okay, I, I'm gonna trouble myself with the math. I didn't think through the math of this, but he would get double, like he'd get double whatever his brother got. And so it was kind of a big deal and it kind of stumped to be the lesser, like the younger of the two. Because that made a huge difference when it came uh, in, when it came to inheritance time. But what's interesting, because God loves to like break up our social norm stuff and our cultural norms, what we think is normal. God loves to just be like, <laughs> yeah. So um, He does that here, and He says that actually, like before the children were ever born, He says that the older will serve the younger. Basically, God had a very specific plan on Jacob's life, and he had a promise on his life and a blessing on his life that was not like his brothers. But I think we can identify with Jacob that sometimes we're, we're always looking at everybody else's promise. We're looking at everybody else's purpose. We're looking at how everybody else is doing, and, and we don't just fall in love with what God's doing in our life. And, and that was a problem for Jacob, even though God had, had this promise on like this purpose, this blessing from before he was born. God said, your older brother's actually going to serve you. It's going to kind of blow things up. It's going to make things weird. People are not going to be used to this. But Jacob constantly fought that. And he constantly was kind of prideful in that he wouldn't just receive the promise that was laid on his life. It got to the point where one time his brother was like always worked out in the woods. And, and Jacob uh, was more like a housekeeper type of dude. And his brother was super hairy, and he was a lot less hairy. And um, more like the woodsman's height versus more domesticated metro fella, you know? So, um, and so anyway, he, he um, at one point, he, he comes in, he takes advantage of his brother. 
And he offers this pot of stew when his brother's super hungry. And if there's anything that will catch a man up, it's women and it's food, right? We'll get in trouble with women and food. And in this situation, it's food because he's so hungry, like angry at this point. And he offers it up and he kind of takes advantage of his brother in his time of hunger. And his brother sells his birthright, like this double inheritance, for a cup of stew. It's like stupid. Like, why would you do that? Like, you couldn't have been that hungry, but still... He took advantage, and obviously he hated his brother because of, of this. And as if that wasn't enough, like he was trying to steal and manipulate and trip his brother into that. Later, when their father Isaac is is about to pass away, Isaac's on his deathbed, and there is this ceremonial, uh, cultural thing where the father would bless his oldest son. It was like a very special, like blessing for the the oldest child, and in this situation again the promise is on Jacob's life the purpose the calling is on his life but here he still wants what his brother has he's not trusting the promise of God that's on his own life he wants what his brother has and here he he, he lies and he deceives his own father to bless him as if the blessing of God was not good enough and so that's kind of where we pick up. And, and after the, the, the blessing robbery in this situation, Esau is mad about it. His brother Esau is mad. And, his, and their mama is like, you need to get out of here or I'm going to lose a son today. Like, you ever gotten a fight with a sibling? And mom's like, you need to leave. <laughs> like, it's going to get up. And so she says, go. And Jacob goes running for his life. And he goes, and he goes, and he doesn't come back. Decade after decade, he's left with harboring this and wanting the promise, but also struggling with it and dealing with fear and insecurity and pride about who God's created him to be. And so he, he wrestles with this for decade after decade. Time goes on. We'll get to Genesis chapter 32, and he actually prays a prayer. And at this point that we're, we're finding Jacob, he's actually... He, this whole decade after decade, he's been running from his pain. He's been running from his shame. He's been running from his failure. He's been running from the promise of God. But now he's actually come a long way. He's actually come a long way. He's married. He's got two wives. They're sisters. We'll talk about that here in a second. Um, terrible idea. It wasn't his plan, but that kind of tricked him. So what he is, now he's on the other side of Thing. But he's been running from his, his failure, he's been running from his pain, his problem, and now he's running towards the problem. He knows that, like, I'm not going to be able to go any further past where I am unless I go through this pain. And so he's going to see his brother. He's going to face the problem. He's going to face the pain and the shame of decades ago that have been setting beneath in his heart. But he's still afraid. He's really afraid because last he thought of his brother, his brother wanted to kill him. Right, maybe you've been kind of separated, like you've had a, a broken relationship, a mom, a dad, a, a brother, a sister for a long time. And now he's, you can kind of relate to this, and now he's going towards him. He's so afraid that he actually says, hey, um, we're going to like really kiss his butt really well with this. Okay, so... He's now got a lot of things. He's got a lot of possessions, lots of cattle and sheep and stuff. And he's like, here's what I want you to do. Everybody's going to go ahead of me. And we're going to have like a big herd of cattle. And like, that'll be kind of the first gift. And then we'll have some sheep. 
and then we'll have some lambs and some chickens, and then we'll send like a big basket of gummy bears, and like maybe by the end of the gummy bears, you won't kill me. Like maybe I will have appeased him and sucked up to him enough where he won't kill me. He's like that afraid. He's like, I'll give you whatever you want if you'll just spare my life. So we're going to pick up at, at verse 32, or at, at verse uh, 22 in chapter 32, and he's, he's struggling. He, he actually, verse 1 says that he's actually seen angels and recognized them as angels of God. And he said, this is the camp of God. But then like a few verses later, he's deathly afraid. But he, he, he prays and he's like, God, I know you brought me a long way. I came across this river the first time with nothing but a staff in my hand. And now I've got so much. I've come so far. He's like, and I know it's because of you, but he's still battling this fear. And we're going to pick up at verse 22. Some of you will know this as Jacob wrestling with God. That night, Jacob got up and he took his two wives. Just, just to address this, because I know you're thinking, like, what? Um, not God's original intention, original design, man and woman, one and one. Look at redeemed design in the New Testament, one and one. After Genesis 4, the fall, there's a lot of mess. And there's a lot of stuff that God doesn't put his uh, uh, stamp of approval on. We see God's original design, his redemptive design. And so in between is a lot of mess. And still today, like we're in, still in the middle of a lot of mess. And, uh, but we've got to look back to the beginning and into uh, what the New Testament says there. So <clears throat> that night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons. And he crossed the ford of Jabbok. And after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. So think about this. He's going to see his brother. All these gifts ahead. Now he's like, I want to take my wives and all my family and all my possessions. I want everything to go over. And if we're just watching this in a movie, and Jacob just sits down, and he's left alone, and we're just kind of captivated by the moment. It's like, what is he doing? Why is he not going with his family? Why is he not? Why did he just come right back over here to sit and be alone? Like, is it out of fear? Like, has this fear gotten the best of him that he's literally not going to go back over? He's so afraid to go and face his own brother here. He'll send his own kids over, and who knows what he might do to them, but he won't go himself. And so here, I'm just kind of caught up in the moment and asking the questions of the text, like what's going on in Jacob's life and his thought process right now as he sits in fear and he's alone and a man comes and starts wrestling. <laughs> Wait a second. Everybody goes over and then nobody's around. He was alone and then all of a sudden a man like begins wrestling him? Like that's strange. Like out of nowhere, like let's get the wrestling match and Jacob's probably like, I don't really have time to wrestle, bro. Um, <laughs> got a lot of things on my mind. I don't really have time for this. But this man is not just a man, as the text will go on to, to reveal to us, that God is revealing himself in this man, and Jacob is wrestling face to face with Almighty God. And I just want to stop right here and just let you know, like, wherever you're at, God meets you. God meets you when you're lonely. He meets you when you're scared to death. But I think why God is able to meet him in this is because his, he's no longer facing this direction. He's just struggling in this direction. 
He's just struggling in the right direction. He's fighting. He's working to overcome the things of the past. He's not running from the problem anymore. He knows that to get to the promise, he's got to face the pain. He's got to face the shame and the failure of yesterday. And so he's sitting in this struggle. But I also wonder in this text if somehow he just knows, like, hey, I need some time with God. I need some time where I can see God's face in order to have the courage to do this. Anybody ever been there before? You're like, I just need to collect your thoughts, my mind. I need to come, I need to see Jesus before I go into this. Otherwise, it could get ugly. Or maybe he just wants to have one last peaceful meal by himself. He's got 11 kids. He just wants a private meal. He's got to need a peace and quiet final meal, final wishes here. But Jacob was left alone. God meets us in these lonely, quiet places. But oftentimes, like, we don't get to these moments because we insulate ourselves from our pain. We don't have to think about what we did yesterday because I'm insulated with all of my possessions and I don't have to think about my problems. I'm insulated by my addiction or I'm insulated by my busyness. And sometimes we begin to think of our like, personality is like, where we'll insulate ourselves, we'll be so busy, we'll constantly be with people so we never have to deal with our own stuff. Or, or the other side of that is our personality is like where we'll, we'll never be around people so we never have to deal with our stuff. But either way, we're kind of insulating ourselves. And God gave me this picture of like peas, like vegetable peas, and that they were created like with a purpose in like a seed that a farmer planted in the dirt, like, it had purpose. And the purpose that the farmer went out to water it day by day, night after night, and he cared for it and watched it grow from just a seedling to eventually where that pea pod, is that what they are? Pea, I don't know how peas come, I'm not far from myself, but, um, but to where eventually, like, this pea pod, like, its desire and its belief and its purpose that it would somehow, some way, be on someone's table and bring enjoyment, but at some point in that pea's life, it got shoved off and taken off into a back of a truck that led to a warehouse and thrown in a freezer. And it's trapped in this freezer. And life begins cold and lonely, and I just begin to realize that this will be my life, will be kind of this frozen tundra of my life. And I begin to develop all these insecurities if I'm the P. I develop all these insecurities of, you know, I guess I wasn't good enough for anybody's table. Or I begin to develop all these fears like if I made it to somebody's table, I bet that toddler's going to reject me. I begin to develop all of these things and then I finally come out and I insulate myself. I'm now in a freezer at somebody's home and I'm hiding between the frozen corn and the chicken nuggets and because I'm insulating myself from being seen, not from people, sometimes people, but insulating myself from the pain and the problem that I've kind of, well, this life has brought me. And this is where I think Jacob is found and God meets him in his time and he, he wrestles with him until daybreak. This is a lonely place, but it's a place that God meets us. After all the possessions, all the people have gone over it's just us and Jesus. Am I willing to wrestle for the promise? I'm willing to go all night long, whatever it takes, praying, God, break this addiction. 
Am I willing to wrestle all night long? God, heal my marriage. Am I willing to wrestle all night long? God, purify my thoughts. Am I willing to wrestle all night long? God, give me direction. Am I willing to wrestle through the night for the promise? Let's continue reading verse 24, 25 and 26 here. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that the hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And when the man said, let me go, it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. There's a lot here. There's a lot here. For me, like in this text, I'm always a little bit skeptical. And so far, like the man in the Greek term, or, uh, excuse me, the Hebrew term is man. Like it's man, man, not like God, man. It's man. It's, it's a dude. So he was long. Now he's not. Now there's a dude wrestling him out of nowhere in the middle of the night. Um, weird. But now, it, like the man cannot overpower him. So I'm, I'm always a little bit skeptical and say, okay, this is definitely God. And then it's all the scriptures are telling us it's a man. We'll get more into that here in just a second. But for right now, let's just run with the understanding that this is God as man here wrestling with him. And let's believe that God could overpower, but the way that God works is not always in overpowering you in your problem. He wants to teach us to persevere through our problem. He, he doesn't just come in and always just kind of fix everything everything because he's not just worried with the external peace. He wants internal peace. He's not just uh, wanting like external harmony. He wants inner healing. Like that's his desire is not just for the exterior good, but for the whole well-being in your life. And the second thing that I would just say to you this morning is that God loves you too much to leave you the way he has found you. He loves you too much to leave you the way you are. This, is a, this, is a, this text here, um, when we talk about the word wrenched, the Hebrew word actually means it's like torn. It's ripped out of socket. Like he got a hold, he got a hold of that leg, uh, and he like ripped that thing to where it hurt so bad. He's like, I'm not gonna let you go until you bless me. This immediately tells me that Jacob knows that something's up. Why else would he ask for this random man that's wrestling through the night to bless him? Like unless he knows this is something more. God's doing something deeper in this night of struggle been wrestling with fear, he's been wrestling with shame, he's been running, and now he's, he's facing the problem, facing the pain, he finds himself physically hurting, hip throbbing because it's been ripped out. I began to think of uh, when I was a kid, and we used to wrestle a lot, we loved to wrestle, my dad would always wrestle with this, and uh, we learned, I learned like the figure four when I was like six years old, seven years old, like I mean, some of you guys don't know the figure four. It's this old school thing that hurts like crazy um, when you put somebody in it. And we would fight. And for those of you that are super into MMA now, like you have KOs and there's TKOs and there's by decision. And then there's a submission. There's a submission that you can get somebody to a point where they'll finally tap out. And that's where God's trying to get us. And that's where he's trying to get Jacob. To give him a place. He could have overpowered him at any moment. He didn't just want to overpower him. He needed to speak something into his heart. He needed this to come alive that, hey, I'm, I'm coming face to face with my problem, but I'm coming face to face with God in this. Now, God's calling me to a promise that, that I can't steal, that I can't look on anybody else. It's for my life. It's a purpose that's 
on my life. Something has to be torn away sometimes. Something's got to be ripped out of the socket to where it hurts so bad. To when we don't, we don't even walk normal. We don't walk like we used to because of what God has brought us through. It's a powerful thought here. Jacob is a, is a guy who's got a lot of stuff. Like He's come a long way. Like His possessions are impressive. He doesn't just have one camp. He's got two camps. But even the fact that he has two camps is because he was afraid that his brother would come and take one camp. So he said, let's split them up so we can just get one. So everything's been driven out of fear here. And he looks like he's got it all together, but the truth of the matter is he's afraid. Sends everybody over, hey, everything's going to be okay. I'll be right over. And he sits, struggles through the night. And he's, he's got that like pent-up anger kind of frustration tonight to the point where the man cannot overpower him. And I think that was God's plan. The man said, let me go with daybreak. I'll not let you go and so you bless me. There's this crying out. There's something more that God wants to do in this. And, and I want you to know today that God loves you too much to, to leave you where you're at. And, and when we think of this word blessing, we think, we can kind of think of like, oh, give me like stuff, like give me possessions. And I, that's not the essence of what this is. Like for his father's blessing, it was ceremonial. It was a cultural honor that was bestowed upon someone. And, and I was not um, selfish about this. Like I was humble about this. I, receive your blessing. And, and that's what Jacob is, is. He wants to receive a true blessing from God. Let's continue reading and finish out the text. I think there's a lot more God wants to speak here. The man asked him, what's your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you struggle with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. Such an, the te- whole text, 22 to 30, is just so intriguing to me. Because he asked his name only because he knows what he's about to do. He's about to change it. And he wants him to say, who have you been? Who do you see yourself as now? And it's like, if I'm Jacob, I'm looking at him, I'm like, who are you, man? You just show up and like wrestle, and now you're going to change my name? But I think because he understood that there was something more to this, he's crying out for a deeper blessing, a deeper honor, a, a, a deeper relationship, and knowing who this man is, knowing who God is, and, and God really reveals himself without revealing himself, saying you've wrestled with God and with man, and you've Overcome. See, God's desire is not for you to be an underdog the rest of your life. That's right. It's for you to be an overcomer. God loves to take underdogs and turn them into overcomers. How many memes have you watched or little gifts or little stories on Facebook or online somewhere in the past, you know, month? That it's some person that overcomes this great adversity and you begin to tear up. There's something that moves us and, and it moves the heart of God. God, look through the scripture and it's constantly underdog after underdog, underdog after underdog. And God is drawing them. He said, I want to transform you into an overcomer. Like I want to do more through you than what you can ever imagine. Please tell me your name. Why do you ask my name? He blessed him there. Let's continue reading the rest of the text. 
So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. He knew, he knew that he had seen God, and that his life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. God, God needed him to, to recognize who he used to be. And God was speaking to him, you're not going to be that anymore. You've seen yourself as Jacob, but you're not Jacob anymore. You're Israel because you're an overcomer. You're not going to stay with the things of the past. You're not going to live on someone else's blessing. I've got a purpose and a blessing and a promise for your life. And I've, got, I've brought you to this place where you're willing to wrestle and you're willing to come to a place of submission, knowing that your blessing doesn't come from robbing anybody else or looking on anybody else's life. It comes from submission to me. And that's where God's bringing us today is to a place of complete submission. Where God... Look, I, 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 want to, I want to be in complete submission to you. I want the promise you have for me, God. I've turned my direction from the past into the future of what you have. And God, I want to walk in that fully. I've told this story on a, a couple of occasions, so don't stop me because some haven't heard it. Um, when I was a, a young man, in seventh grade, I began to develop some kind of chronic back and knee problems. I had a growth, um, it, uh, like hormone issue in my knee that caused intense pain. Like you could touch it with a feather and I would fall down in excruciating pain, like to tears. Um, so it's, it's a somewhat common thing, but it was one that I dealt with. When I was in seventh grade, I was playing sports. Uh, I was playing uh, football, I was a football practice. And something happened in my back where I couldn't breathe. And so the only thing I could do to literally to survive in that moment was to lay down and not move as much as possible. And I'm literally struggling for every single breath. It was intense. It was the first time that I experienced this type of pain in my life, and I pretty much experienced it once every single year since. It's a little bit unexplainable. I've gotten different medical things. I've been in the chiropractor since I was seven, seventh grade. And so I won't save you all the medical, I'll save you all the medical stuff, but I, I dealt with this knee and back stuff since I was a young man. And, uh, and it, when I was in, I think I was in ninth or 10th grade, I can't even remember the year now, but in that ninth and 10th grade year, God was doing a lot in my life in terms of submit, submission to him. And I remember sitting in a church service similar to, to this, and I, I sat kind of back, we're facing this way, I sat back in that corner. And um, they, they had this altar call, they had this time, like, hey, come, and like, if you need healing, will you just come. And... And they, they asked it once, and I didn't, I didn't go. And uh, sat in fear. I was in pain every single day. And it was not slowing down. And I knew that God wanted to heal me. God said, if you'll go, I'll heal you. Like, it was as clear as it could be. If you'll go, I'll heal you. It was just a clear statement to me. And I sat in fear. And I did not get up. Three, four times they called. I, I didn't get up. And after that time had passed, I just had a pit in my stomach as I sat back there saying, I just missed an opportunity. I missed God calling me beyond my pain. And I sat in it. And as time went on, I, I sat with this limp, if you will. 
And I, I lived with this limp and this constant pain. I, I could have looked at that with bitterness. I could have looked at that with a lot of different things and whatever. I, I just took it as I learned the greatest lesson of my life. And I, I turned my prayer of, not God, would you heal my knee? I'm like, God, don't ever heal my knee. Because that stupid knee is a reminder to trust you at your word. When you say, come, I come. When you say, I've got this, you've got me, you're with me in my camp, you've got me. And it's been a constant reminder, and, and, I'm ne and I never will have to take that pain away because it's a constant reminder that when he changes our name, when he calls us from an underdog to an overcomer, we walk away with a new name, a new identity, and we walk away with a limp that will forever remind us that he is good and he's not done with us. And he meets us where we're at, and he's... He wants to do a work in our life, and it's not because we're accepting, it's because he, we're accepted the way we are, but the way we are is acceptable. He's drawing us into the promise. He's leading us into the promise. The story doesn't end here. He, he gets up and he calls this place Peniel. I saw God face to face in my own life. And he looks up. It's morning time. He looks up, and who does he see? He sees his brother Esau. And I just imagine, because I know when I've been struck with fear, like right in that moment, it's a decision, like am I going back into that fear? <clears throat> am I going back into that pain? Am I going to run from this? Or am I going to be okay? <clears throat> and I think before he even had a chance to figure out what he was going to do, he saw his brother Esau running towards him. And that was probably a scary few minutes. Because <laughs> I've had my brother run at me before, like, to fight me. Like, I didn't know what was coming, but I'm sure the look on his face was not that of anger. Because when he got to him, he just embraced him. And he hugged him. He's like, you're my brother. He's like, what are all these possessions? He's like, I don't need your stuff. I don't need that. I love you. It's this picture that we see in the Gospel of Luke with the prodigal son and the father raising his garment to run after the son. And here it's a brother running towards a brother. It's what we thought was like going to be the thing, that our downfall, the death of us. God has somehow done such a work in us that we are no longer an underdog running from it. But now I've marched through it and with all fear, with all, you know, white knuckles, with all kind of trying to fix the problem in all kinds of dumb ways. Because I didn't trust God, but God met me where I'm at. And now I'm at this place when I thought was going to be the death of me is now running towards me and embracing me. And it comes full circle to realize that God wants to do something in you because he wants to do something through you. He's got a plan for your life. He's got a promise for your life before you were ever born that is unique and specific to you. Not Esau's, not Jennifer's, not anybody else's, not your brother, not your sister, not your mom. Like your God has a plan specific for your life. And like and when we realize that, we can kind of wake up and just kind of walk in confidence for who he's created us to be and we don't have to trying to fill in some other blessing and some other promise for us, but it's, God, who have you called me to be? And I think across this place, God wants to do something in our hearts. He wants to, to speak something this morning to us. 
I think there's some of us that are, that are wrestling with uh, an opportunity right now that we can run from or we can run towards it and deal with it. There have been multiple times in my life where I've, I've battled some failures, I've battled some shame of before. And when I face those problems, you know what, most of the time, it's not near as bad as I think it's going to be. And what I've found many times is that God's with me in that. He's running towards me in that. He says, in the New, Jesus says in the New Testament, draw near to me, you know. I'll draw near to you. There's this dual engagement. I hope you know today that God is running after you. He's never going to leave you. He, he's drawing you from a place of a Jacob, running in fear, running from our failure, to a place of an overcomer. I'm not afraid of it. I'm not afraid to have that conversation. I'm not afraid to tell you where I've come from because I'm an overcomer. And I know, like, as we begin to talk about this, like, it starts to get heavy, and we start thinking, okay, I'm not quite an overcomer yet, Pastor. I'm, I'm still sitting on the other side of the river, scared to cross over. And you're wrestling right now. You're wrestling with God. You're wrestling, maybe even with man. You've got a physical relationship you're, you're fighting through. I just believe the next few moments as we gather, as we worship, as we come and declare His goodness, like we're going to find freedom in that. We're going to see God face to face and know that it's at this place we, we met God in a fresh way. And He brings healing to our souls as we submit our lives to Him. I don't know if it had to get to this point where His leg got ripped out of socket. I believe it didn't have to go that way for me. I think God could have healed me in that night if I would have obeyed. And get into a whole conversation about the will of God, the permissive will of God, perfect will of God another day. I just believe that I could have done that. But I wasn't willing to submit. I was, I was prideful. It's prideful. I didn't want anybody to know I was struggling. I didn't want anybody to know I was hurt. I didn't want anybody to know I wasn't See, this was never about the possessions. This was never about Esau. It was never about wives. It was never about his journey. It was not the promise that God had on his life. It was about the purpose that he had placed inside of him. And it was about a prideful man who wasn't willing to submit and accept who God created him. Promise and the blessing of the Father supersedes every superficial version of it that we can find ourselves and insulate ourselves.